Matthew chapter 5. I would like to read Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12 as our opening text today. Most Bibles have a heading here called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. When he saw the crowds, that he here is speaking of the Master, Master Yeshua, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, because they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, because they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, because they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, because they will see Elohim, the Almighty. Blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be called the sons or the children of the Almighty. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, Yahweh bless his word to our hearts today. This is what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's been several years. I think I preached through Matthew 5, 6, and 7 back around the year maybe 2010 or 2011. I'd have to go back and look. And I have got a little age on me since then. Um, uh, and I do believe that with age comes wisdom and understanding. And with experience comes wisdom and understanding. And what I'm trying to do uh, since I finished my study on the book of Galatians is trying to go back and look at some of the sermon series that I preached a long time ago that I am not satisfied with now uh, because of more developed of an understanding and just more wisdom and, and knowledge that Yahweh has, has graciously blessed me with over the years. So I don't even believe a man should be um, an elder of a congregation um, if he's under 30 years old. And that is one thing that if I had to do over again, I would do it differently. I was asked to lead when I was 25, and if I had to do over again, I would have declined and waited until I was 30. And I get that from not just Yeshua beginning his ministry at 30 years old. That's when he was baptized, by the way. According to Luke 3, he was about 30 years old. He was baptized and began his ministry. But also from the book of Numbers. If you study the book of Numbers, uh, the priests, the Levites, which weren't just in charge of the sacrificial offerings, but they were also the teachers of the law. Uh, they did not begin uh, until they were 30. From age 30 to 50 was... Uh, their service in the priesthood. So um, I'm pushing now 40, and so Yahweh has, I believe, blessed me with a good understanding of the scriptures. Um, I'm still learning. That doesn't mean I have everything right, but I feel like I am at the point now where I need to go back and reteach some of the sermons that I have taught in the past um, because, number one, I used to be more forceful than I should be. Um, and Yahweh has uh, made me more merciful 
over the years uh, just from reading, studying, life experiences, and just going through things. And so I want to bring forth more of a merciful tone. We're going to talk some about that today. Um, and two, my understanding has developed on a lot of these texts of Scripture. So what I'm going to be teaching on for the next little while is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. So we're going to begin today. I think we'll get through verse 6, maybe Matthew 5, 1 through 6 today, and then Matthew 5, 7 through 12 in the New Moon lesson. So I believe that this is, by way of introduction, the greatest sermon ever preached um, in the history of sermons. I believe that Yeshua is the greatest preacher that has ever lived, the greatest prophet that has ever lived, and obviously he is the only begotten son of the Most High Yahweh. So, um, but this is the greatest sermon um, in my understanding. Yeshua came to show us a proper understanding of the Torah, and I believe that is a huge point in Matthew chapter 5. Um, you can read the Torah and you can learn by reading it, but Yeshua's teachings and actions are the best way to learn how to carry out the Torah properly. Because men, we always find a way to abuse or misuse something. We always find a way to twist something. And it's very difficult to find people in history and in this day and time who are genuine, honest, and sincere with the text of Scripture and just want the truth. They don't want an agenda. They don't want a denominational doctrine. They don't want to push any kind of, of, of motive or, or uh, self-interest. They just want to know what Yahweh teaches in His law. When we, when we look at the life and the ministry of Yeshua the Messiah, the Son of Yahweh, we see the Torah perfectly in all of its purity being carried out in the way that he spoke and in the way that he lived. Not just what he taught, but the way that he lived because he lived everything that he taught. Um, Yeshua is the embodiment of Yahweh's great word and wisdom. When you look at uh, texts in Psalms and Proverbs about the word of Yahweh, which I do believe is the spoken word of Yahweh, when Yahweh would speak and interact with people, and then his great wisdom, which we're going to read about soon in Proverbs chapter 8. Yeshua is the embodiment, the fulfillment of Yahweh's word and wisdom. When the word became flesh, as John 1.14 said, it was, it was Yahweh's mind and wisdom and words taking on a human being form. And he is the encapsulation or the embodiment of that great word and wisdom of Yahweh, which would include the Torah. So you could say, and I don't have a problem with it, that the Torah becomes flesh. The law of Yahweh becomes flesh in the person of the Messiah. And believing in Yeshua uh, doesn't just mean believing in what he has done for us. That's a great, huge part of it. And praise be to Yahweh for Yeshua's birth, life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to heaven and his priesthood that he is... Uh, performing for us now in the heavens at the Father's right hand. So we, we believe in what Yeshua has done for us by the authority and delegation that Yahweh gave him. But believing in Yeshua also means believing in what he taught. You don't really believe in Yeshua unless you believe what he taught. And what he taught is pretty much summarized in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So, Let's get started in verses 1 through 2. Matthew 5, 1 through 2. Let's read it again. Get a drink of water here. 
Matthew 5, 1 through 2. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. After he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Verses 1 through 2 speaks of Yeshua going up on the mountain. And when I read this in preparation for this sermon, my mind, because when you read the scriptures for so many years, certain words trigger certain thoughts. And my mind immediately went to the book of Exodus where Moses, prophet Moses, communed with Yahweh on the mountain. I think mountains are significant. Yahweh came down on the mountain there in Exodus chapter 19. And Yahweh spoke from the mountain. And then in Exodus 24, Yahweh told Moses, come up here with me on the mountain. And that's where Moses received the cubes of the covenant, the tablets of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And so Yeshua here, he goes up on the mountain and he begins to teach the people. And Yeshua is that prophet that is like Moses. In Deuteronomy 18, uh, Moses wrote, speaking for Yahweh, Yahweh spoke through Moses, and Moses said, a prophet like me Yahweh will raise up from among the brothers. So it's going to be a human prophet. He raises him up from among the brothers, and he says, I'll put my words, Yahweh says, my words into his mouth, and he'll speak my words. And if you don't listen to that prophet, you will be destroyed. Well, if you flip your Bible to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3, the apostle Peter is preaching a gospel sermon, and Peter says that Yeshua is that prophet that is likened unto Moses that Yahweh raised up from among the brothers. So I think there's some correlation. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that Yeshua and Moses are identical. Moses was from the tribe of Levi, Yeshua was from the tribe of Judah. It doesn't mean that every little single thing has to line up between Moses and Yeshua, but it was just as Yahweh had this direct communication with Moses and Moses was special and Yahweh spoke through Moses and Yahweh gave his law through Moses. Yeshua is that prophet like Moses that Yahweh puts his own words into Yeshua's mouth. And thus, just as the Old Testament will call the Torah the law of Moses, in the book of John, Yeshua talks about keeping my commandments. You know, it's not that Yeshua has new commandments, but it's that Yahweh has spoken the commandments through him just as Yahweh spoke the commandments through Moses. It tells us in verses 1 through 2 that Yeshua sat down and he taught the people. He sat down. He, so, here Yeshua is. He doesn't have a suit on and a tie. He doesn't have a pulpit. He's either in sandals, barefooted either way, but either in sandals or he could have not had sandals on at all. He's in that in his tunic. He's got the beard, disheveled hair probably. Probably hadn't had a bath in a while. And he sits down on the grass and he teaches the people. Um, this goes against the modern ideas of a preacher. I've seen some videos recently where these preachers of a particular sect or denomination talk about how that, you know, you look like a preacher if you got on a, a dark colored suit with a white shirt, a dark tie. You know, some of them say a red tie for the blood, blood of Jesus. Uh, we have in our minds, in our modern mentality, what a preacher is supposed to look like. And Yeshua doesn't fit that mold. Uh, and that's because the modern idea of a preacher um, is not the scriptural idea of a preacher. I remember doing a job one time, and I pumped safety tanks for a living. I've done that for a long time. And I remember doing a job, and I was speaking with a lady, and somehow the conversation shifted from septic tanks 
to the the Bible, and um, she said, "How do you know so much about the Bible?" And I said, "Well, I, I study the Bible." And she said, "Are you are you a preacher or a, or a teacher anywhere?" And I said, "As a matter of fact, I am." I said, I, "I'm a, I'm an elder. I'm a pastor of a congregation." And she said, "Man, I've never seen a pastor dress like like you or look like you." And I told her, and this is something I've said to a lot of people. But I said, "I might be the first true pastor you've ever met." So Yeshua doesn't fit the mold of modern-day preachers, but he just was common and casual, and why are we trying to fit the mold anyhow? I've even thought about recently, because of some things that I've read, and I've got to look at this more in depth, but I've actually thought about removing the pulpit from out in front of our congregation. Um, I've got to do some more historical search on that. I don't know if it's a sin to have one, but uh, I've just thought about removing it because... He, a text like this where Yeshua he just sits down in front of the people and he, and he speaks you ever hear a preacher speak and they start speaking in what I like to call a preacher's voice you know well glory to God they'll say something like that they, they start pronouncing words differently you know they, they preach and everything and, and sometimes I get fired up and I get excited when I preach at the congregation and I feel the Holy Spirit strong sometimes in certain texts that I talk about, but I get turned off when I hear that preacher voice start coming out. You know, they start pronouncing words differently and and all that kind of stuff because it 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 gets to where it's entertainment or a show um, instead of just simply teaching the scriptures. Um, a true point isn't any more true if you shout it than if you just speak it calmly. So you you know. Sometimes I think some preachers uh, pound the pulpit and speak so loudly because their point is weak and they can't prove their point from the text so they got to hammer it into the people and force people to see the point. And, and Yeshua, I don't, he wasn't like that. So here he is, he sits down on this grass in his tunic and his bare feet and his beard and his tassels and he just teaches the people. I love that. So, verse 3 he starts off with these things that he, he pronounces blessings on the people. We call them the Beatitudes. And he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, in verse 3, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The word blessed here, and some paraphrase translations of the Bible will talk about happiness here. Oh, how happy is the poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And that, that's true. I think the blessedness here, it stems from um, the same idea of giving a good word to someone, like a eulogy. When somebody pr pronounces a eulogy at a funeral, they give a good word about the deceased person. And so the same idea is here with blessed or a good word or your life will be blessed, your life will be happy. Happiness comes to the person who is poor in spirit. Um, this is the true kind of happiness. This isn't the happiness that is based on circumstances in life. This isn't the happiness that you only have when everything goes according to your plans. This is a happiness and a blessedness that you can have in your life when everything goes not according to your plans. And you're still blessed and happy. Why? Because your, your blessedness and your happiness is found in the Most High. It's found in Almighty Yahweh. It's not based upon money or fame. It's based upon Yahweh and His Word and your life serving Yahweh. 
there's a song that came out not too many years ago, and there's a line in it that says, Money and fame will bring a man shame. There ain't no doubt about it. And this comes from a singer or a group of people that got involved in over their head with money and fame. And they begin to see uh, behind the scenes uh, of what was in the music industry, and not just that industry, but any industry where money and fame uh, is prevalent. I read today about a man named Voltaire. Voltaire lived in Europe in the 18th century, in the 1700s, and he was one of the most famous men of that time and that area. And Voltaire laid dying, and it is reported that he said to his doctor while he laid there dying, one of the most famous men of that time in Europe, he said this, I am abandoned by God and man. I will give you speaking to the doctor, I will give you half of my worth if you will give me six more months to live. It does not matter how much money you have or how much fame you have. You will never be blessed or happy until your blessedness and your happiness is found in Yahweh. That is when you will truly be, not based on circumstances, happy, but you will be happy because your life consists in the Creator and not in this world's things or this world's goods. So we will see through this that happiness consists in a humble, lowly, and simple life. These beatitudes, these blessed things, contrast with the way that the world views happiness today. And that's not really something different if we're avid readers of the scriptures because we find that Yahweh's ways are often the opposite of man's ways. So the first blessedness he gives, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, how happy are the poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is, is theirs. Poor in spirit uh, is equal with humble, contrite. Uh, you know your need for Yahweh. You know that you're not anything apart from Yahweh. You know that anything that you have is because it's been gifted to you by Yahweh and you're humble about it and you're contrite. And when you pray, your prayer is so sincere and your prayer is so genuine because you really do love Yahweh and you know that He's the Creator and you're not. A lot of times when I pray, and I like to say it in, in public prayers so that it gets ingrained in people's minds, I start off my prayer by saying, Yahweh, you are good and I am not. And it's just a recognition. It's not because I'm trying to throw out some kind of false humility. It's a recognition in the ears of the people that Yahweh ultimately is the only one who is absolutely in and of himself good. Even Yeshua the Messiah, when the, the man came to him and t said, Good teacher, he said, Why do you call me good? There is not one good but Yahweh. And it's because Yeshua was being humble and he knew that any goodness in and of himself was because Yahweh had placed it there within him. So even Yeshua said, why do you call me good? There is none good but, but Yahweh. So poor in spirit, blessed, oh how happy are the humble, the contrite, those who know their need for Yahweh, the poor in spirit. Opposites of being poor in spirit are pride, boasting, being braggadocious in yourself. I can do everything by myself. I'm the reason that I have this money. I'm the reason that I have this success. I'm the reason. This is the opposite of being poor in spirit. And this characteristic is the basis for all the others that, is, that are listed here in this text. 
Poor in spirit is the first characteristic listed of the happy man and the happy woman. And it's the base for everything else. And of course it says the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Kingdom of heaven is not the kingdom in heaven. We'll see this in a later verse, but it's the kingdom that is coming down to this earth. There will be a new heavens and new earth. Yahweh will renew it. And we will dwell upon the earth, and that will be the kingdom of heaven. And that's it in its finality. And that is what Yeshua is referring to here, but not just in the future, but also in the here and now. Even though the kingdom of heaven in its finality is not accomplished and it's not has, has came yet, you can experience the kingdom in your own life, in the life of you as an individual, and the life of your family, and the life of your church, and it can even spread out to your community. When you apply the principles that Yahweh has given us in his word and here in the Sermon on the Mount through his son Yeshua, when you apply these principles, you can experience a bite or a taste of the kingdom of heaven right now. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble. Let's go to verse 4. Verse 4 says, Blessed are they, oh how happy are they, who mourn, because they will be comforted what is this mourning? This is a righteous mourning. This is not a woe is me or walking around miserable with a sad look on your face and wanting to get everybody's attention and you know misery loves company and all that. It's not that kind of mourning. It's not that kind of mourning that Yeshua is talking about. This mourning is linked with poor in spirit. It is a humble. It is linked with weeping. A lot of times you'll find mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, linked with weeping in the Bible. And what it refers to is primarily a sensitivity over sin. Um, I think I mentioned in a recent sermon, 1 John chapter 1 says, if we say that we don't have any sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You have whole denominations now that think that we can live a perfect life in, in the here and now. And we'll get to that text at the end of Matthew 5 where Yeshua tells us to be perfect like the Father. And the, the reality is... That, it's impossible to be perfect like the Father if you just state that sentence by itself. There's a meaning behind what Yeshua said. Um, but we live in a fallen world. This is why we get sick. This is why we die. Death is the greatest of all sicknesses. And all the faith healers and prosperity gospel preachers, they're all going to die. You know why? Because they're fallen in Adam. They're fallen sons of Adam. And death is, is that sickness we cannot escape. It is appointed unto all men wants to die. So this is the reason we have problems. This is the reason why the other day when I was cutting my grass and I ran into a tree, and it, a Bradford pear tree, and it had this big thorn and it scraped my arm and it hurt. We live in a fallen world. That doesn't mean that I had committed any in particular sin that day and that's why I got scraped. And it seems that the people that believe that, they always want to say it when it's somebody else that has committed a sin. There's somebody else that's committed uh, or, excuse me, they always want to say it when somebody else that is sick. When somebody else is sick, they start wondering, I wonder what kind of sin he or she has committed. I wonder what they're all involved in. But then when they get sick, oh, I'm trials of Job. <laughs> you know, so then that's it's just a prideful attitude. It's not a poor in spirit attitude. It's not a sensitivity to sin. Oh, how happy are the ones who mourn. Blessed are the men and women who have a sensitivity to their own sin. They realize their own need for salvation. They realize their own need for a Savior. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says that there is a holy sorrow that produces repentance that leads to salvation. A holy mourning. Blessed are you who mourn, who are sensitive to your sin, who realize that you're not perfect, 
who realize that you make mistakes, who realize that you can't go a day without needing the mercy and the forgiveness of Yahweh. Blessed are you who mourn, for you will be comforted. And the comfort here is Yahweh giving you reassurance that you have salvation. You do possess the Spirit. You are a new creature in the Messiah. And when you do sin, you can ask for forgiveness and repent and get back up and follow Yahweh in His ways and His righteousness. And you can do righteousness by the power of the Spirit. But the more righteous a person gets and the closer they get to Yahweh, the more holy that they see that Yahweh is and the less holy that they see that they are. And they continuously cry out for the mercy of Yahweh in their life. Blessed, oh how happy are they who mourn. For they will be reassured by Yahweh. They will be comforted by Yahweh. Assurance and comfort of salvation are best learned by spiritual experience. You need to have a theology and a soteriology. A doctrine of the Almighty and a doctrine of salvation. You need to have those, and they need to be ones that can withstand this next statement I'm about to make, that your greatest failure in life may still be in your future. There's, there's a possibility that the greatest sin that you'll ever commit could still be yet in your future. And you say, oh, no, I'll never do that, Brother Matthew. Well, Peter said it too. The apostle Peter said, I'll never deny you, Lord. Yeshua said, get thee behind me, Satan. And then, of course, we know that Peter denied him three times that night that Yeshua was betrayed. I don't know him. I've never been with that guy. I don't hang out with him. Then the rooster crowed or the town crier, some people believe, cried out. And he realized what Yeshua told me. Hmm. I should have been more humble. I was a little too prideful there. Got caught up in my pride. You'll never understand the mercy of Yahweh until you get a grip on the reality that you are a sinner in need of your Savior. If you see yourself as a little sinner, you'll see Yahweh as a little bitty Savior. When you begin to see the depths of your sin and your transgression and that you're a big sinner and that you need a lot of help, then all of a sudden Yahweh turns into this big Savior with these big arms and He welcomes you in and forgives you when you repent and are sorrowful for your sin. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let me also say that this could be twofold, and that the mourning here could be over a loved one's death or calamity that has struck your community, your home, your society, and you mourn and you're sad. And Yahweh will comfort you. Yahweh will comfort his children in the midst of heartache and trouble that we all face in life. Let's go to verse 5. Verse 5. Blessed are the gentle. Oh, how happy are the gentle. Because they will inherit the earth. KJV says, blessed are the meek. For they'll inherit the earth. Um, the word gentle or meek here is defined by various lexicons like this. A mildness of disposition. It's like somebody who has, when you meet them, their disposition or their personality is, is mild and is calm is gentle, is meek. A gentleness in spirit. Lexicons talk about this as well. This verse is used in Matthew 21, verse 5, where the same author, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and this is good. Let me, let me share this little tip of Bible study with you before I move on. 
But when you're looking at definitions of words, and words are defined by their context, right? But when you're looking at definitions of words and you start to branch out at different uses of that word, always start with that same author. So when we see here, this is, this is Matthew writing this. So when he uses the word meek or gentle, let's branch out into this same epistle or sometimes other books that that author has written. Let's see how that same author uses that same word. Then after that, we can go to other authors outside of that book and see how they use it as well. But Matthew does use this word again here in the Greek in Matthew 21 verse 5 where he talks about how that Yeshua comes meek and lowly and sitting upon a donkey. <laughs> so that tells us meekness and gentleness is referred to just being common, just being casual. Yeshua didn't come on riding on a percheron with a crown <laughs> on his head. He comes meek and lowly riding on a donkey into Jerusalem and they wave the palm branches. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he that cometh in the name Yahweh. So that's another use of the word gentle. Um, it's also used by another author in the New Testament, in 1 Peter. Peter uses it in chapter 3 where Peter talks about how that a righteous woman has a meek and quiet spirit. So the word gentle or meek is used in relation with quietness. Um, and Peter says that this is, in Yahweh's sight, a great price when a woman has this gentle or meek spirit. And according to Matthew 5, it's the same thing for the man, when a man is gentle. So meekness and gentleness quietly receives injustice. Sometimes we have people do us wrong, treat us wrongly. We may get treated wrongly by an individual. We may get treated wrongly by a hierarchy. Meekness and gentleness quietly receives that injustice. Doesn't fight back because we know that the scripture teaches in Deuteronomy and in Romans. Vengeance is Yahweh's and he will repay. If someone does you wrong, um, you can take solace in the fact that Yahweh will take vengeance out on them. And you don't have to. That's gentleness and meekness. Um, gentleness and meekness is, uh, for example, okay with other people having the last word. And if you think that that's easy, you try it sometimes. You get into a disagreement with someone and they speak their mind. And what do we feel like? We feel like we always have to add in that last word. Husbands and wives is bad about it. Husbands and wives, we bicker. And we think, we've got to put in that last word. We've got to get that last word in. A gentle spirit, a meek spirit will say, ah, no, no big deal. Let somebody else have the last word. Uh, gentleness and meekness, you don't have to be the center of attention. You're not worried about other people receiving praise around you. Um, because you realize... The reward is in the kingdom of heaven and not here on the earth. Uh, there is a time for righteous anger. This doesn't mean that there's no such thing as righteous anger. Um, the book of Numbers says that Moses was the meekest man in the whole earth. and But we know that when Moses came down off the mountain, he had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He had not eaten any food or drank any water. Reminds me, let me get another sip of water. So the man of Elohim had left, and when he got down, he heard sound like the noise of war in the camp, but the people were just acting frivolously, worshiping a golden calf, and probably engaging in some kind of debauchery, uh, naked before their enemies. Uh, one translation says there in Exodus. And Moses broke those stone tablets. He threw them down. You know, So he had righteous anger. Um, there was a time when Yeshua, he made 
a whip. And he went into the temple and he drove out the money changers who bought and sold in the temple. And of course, Yeshua, um, in that righteous anger, he was getting on to religious abusers, people who were in positions of authority. And most of the time, Yeshua's life was characterized by meekness and gentleness. And it, it kind of irks me when people always want to bring up Yeshua using the whip. And they don't want to talk about Yeshua just standing there and taking the crown of thorns in his head, piercing him to his skull and being mocked and beard uh, pulled out and spit on in his face and he doesn't fight back. You know, so people who always want to bring up the whip, I think a lot of times they want to excuse their anger and, uh, and their bad spirit. I think a lot of times people bring that up to excuse the way that they have a disposition towards. Uh, but there is a time for righteous anger. But Yeshua's entire life, if you look at his whole life, as recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he was a gentle man. He says he was gentle. In Matthew 5, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. So he said, I, I'm gentle. But he was a gentle man. Nothing wrong with that. Um, and then at the end it says, The, the meek will inherit the earth. Mm, this lets us know the earth is synonymous with kingdom of heaven here. So the meek will inherit the land, the earth. Kingdom of heaven comes down to earth. Yahweh renews the heavens and the earth, and we dwell on the earth in a renewed earth, a paradise, a garden of Eden. So we're not going to live forever as disembodied souls on a cloud playing a harp, singing Kumbaya. <laughs> no, we're going to actually live a life here in the final kingdom of heaven on the earth. No more pain, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more tears. And we'll be immortal beings, never to, able to die again. It's a beautiful promise. Hallelujah. Let's cover one more verse. Verse 6. Verse 6 says, Blessed are those, oh how happy are those, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. Most commentators on this verse say that Hunger and thirst is a reference. It's like an idiom. It's a figure of speech that means they have a strong desire for righteousness. Blessed and happy are those who have a strong desire. Hunger and thirst, strong desire for righteousness. And I can't argue with uh, the strong desire idea. Um, I think you will be blessed and happy if you have a strong desire for righteousness. Um, but why can't this verse be talking about fasting? Um, fasting, which means to cover over the mouth, meaning you don't eat. At least you don't eat. You miss a day's worth of meals, and sometimes you don't eat or drink. As I mentioned, Moses, he didn't eat or drink for 40 days. Um, I think that this verse is speaking of literally fasting, not eating or drinking. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst, and the reason that you fast is because you want more righteousness. And as uh, my dear brother T.J. Martin taught me, um, many times in the scriptures when righteousness is mentioned, it's not talking about positional righteousness. If you're in Christ, if you're in the Messiah, you can't get any more positionally righteous than you already are because <laughs> you're in him. You're covered by his righteousness, right? But this is talking about practical righteousness. So you hunger and thirst to be more righteous practi practically in, your, in your, what you do, what you, how you act, how you live, your behavior. And all through the scriptures, we see when people wanted to draw near to Yahweh or reach Yahweh or get the attention of Yahweh, so to speak, they would fast. They would forego meals. And what it, what it 
does is it denies the natural man and it causes that spiritual man to reach up and say, oh, I'm going to get some now. I'm going to be fed now. And so instead of you sitting down for breakfast to have a meal, you sit down with your scriptures or you sit down to pray for that 30 minutes. Same thing for lunch. Same thing for supper. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst, who fast for righteousness. You connect all through the scriptures we learn, you connect with Yahweh in a powerful way when you fast. Um, one time the psalmist David said that he humbled himself and he fasted and then prayer returned to his inner man, to his bosom, the King James says. So it sounds like that David was having trouble in his prayer life. But when he humbled himself, lowly, poor in spirit, mourning, gentle, meek, and he fasted, all of a sudden his prayer life came back. So I think that's what this is referring to. And fasting should be a lifestyle for the believer. It should not, the Day of Atonement should not be the only day, brothers and sisters, that you fast. It shouldn't be. When the Day of Atonement rolls around, I believe that we are commanded to fast on Yom Kippur. But we shouldn't think back, all right, when's the last time that I fasted? And you think, hmm, well, since the last Day of Atonement. So you went 365 days approximately without fasting? That ought not be. Later in Matthew chapter 6, Yeshua says, Whenever you fast, as though it's just a natural part of life. You know, the early Christians, according to the uh, early Christian manual called the Didache, which was a, it was an early Christian manual of discipline of how Gentile Christians would practice their life. And according to that manual, many of the early Christians would fast two days every week. They would. I'm not saying it's a commandment, but this is something that was practiced by early believers. And, of course, we know in the New Testament, I think it's in Luke chapter 18, we learned that some of the Pharisees would fast twice a week as well. So um, I think it's an excellent practice if you can at least fast one day a week. If you can fast two days a week, I think that's great. But when you fast, what you're doing is you're hungering and you're thirsting after more practical righteousness in your life. I think that will bring a blessing upon you. Oh, how happy that you will be. Now, I'm going to stop right there, and we're going to cover verses 7 through 12 in our New Moon Sermon. I'll have a word of prayer here in just a second. So don't forget, I'm going to be right back here with uh, prayer and singing and reading and teaching um, for the New Moon right here on Facebook Live. And then next week, I'll be at our local congregation, our assembly hall. And for those of you that would like to come and join, you're welcome to come and join. We're going to take caution, be precautious, all, all that kind of stuff. But we are going to start our services back up next week at our congregational meeting hall. So uh, may Yahweh bless you and keep you. May Yahweh make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you and bring you peace. I love you, but most importantly, Yahweh Almighty loves you. Don't you ever forget that. Yahweh Almighty loves the most wicked person on the face of the earth. He's letting them breathe right now. Letting them eat. Letting them enjoy the sunshine. How much more ought we to love one another? So I'm going to close this out in, in prayer. Um, if you want to leave any prayer requests on the Facebook feed, um, I'll promise to pray for them this week. And keep them on my mind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you. You are great and I am not. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for a good understanding. 
I pray that we would recognize where true blessedness and happiness comes from. It is not in material things. It is not in fame and fortune. It is only found in a life that is dedicated to serving Yahweh in all humbleness and lowliness of mind. Help us to be like the Master, not desiring vainglory, not trying to make a name for ourselves, but just wanting to serve you in the beauty of holiness. I love you, Yahweh. And I love your Son, Yeshua the Messiah. It is through Him that I pray. Amen. May Yahweh bless you from this time forth and forevermore. I'll see you at noon in service. Shalom.